1 Thessalonians 5 from verses 12. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. We urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. So it's a privilege uh, to be here with you all at St. Mark's for me and my family. And a big thank you to those of you who we've met. We met quite a few of you at Focus um, last month, and um, we've met some of you now, and you've genuinely made us all feel really welcome. Today we're finishing our series on holiness and hope in an ever-changing world. And you can catch up with all the other talks in the series on our YouTube channel, City Rise. But we're looking at how can we be holy and hopeful in an ever-changing world? What do people see when they see us? What sort of community are we? If you're here for the first time, I'm not sure where you stand in your faith. You might not be sure where you stand in your faith, where you stand with God, with all of this church stuff. I hope that you will see a community that is lovingly different, a community that you might not have seen anywhere else. A bunch of people who are not perfect, but who are different because of Jesus' love. Jesus' love that's transformed them. So my wife Amanda, my son Santi and I, like we said, we've recently moved down from Bedford, which if you don't know is just past Luton, another 30 minutes. We've been there for the last nine years and we come here to join St. Mark's to to be part of the, the life of this church and hopefully to plant a church somewhere in the next few years around this area in South London. So if you are new here, so are we. Most of you could be new here to us. So please do come and say hello to us afterwards. We'd love to get to know you. But my old college principal said to me when I was training, he said, when you go somewhere new, pay attention. Because you will notice things that other people don't see. Because after a few months, you'll just become part of the furniture. So here's a few things that we've noticed as a family about the area of Battersea around here. Number one, 
Why does everybody smell so nice? <laughs> Walking down the streets, everybody just smells, men and women smell so fragrant. I know it sounds weird, and as I'm saying it now, I'm slightly regretting saying that out loud. But it wasn't just me, because I was thinking, mate, I'll just keep that to myself. And then Amanda and Santi came back the other day from a walk and said, oh, everybody just smells really nice around here. I, mean, I don't know whether in Bedford we smell a bit funny or... Second thing, how many, air, how many gyms does an area need? <laughs> Thank you, yes. There are gyms in shop fronts, there are gyms in warehouses, there are gyms in hotels, there are gyms in parks. The other day, Santi and I were walking down to Wandsworth Town train station, and there's a railway arch there, which you use as a tunnel to get through to the other side where there's a park and the roundabout. So we're walking past, this van pulls up, doors open, guy jumps out and starts pulling out this humongous metal frame and he sticks it underneath the railway bridge. Then he brings out a bench, then he brings out some weights, then he brings out a mat and all of a sudden this couple come jogging up and say, here we're ready for our gym session. And so they just had a whole hour's gym session underneath this rainy, damp kind of railway arch. Crazy. I thought Ethan had turned up. <laughs> Last one. Everybody seems to be in their active wear. Is everybody permanently going to the gym? It's both inspiring and demoralizing at the same time. I almost felt to wear my lycra today when I was preaching. So my goal is to become like the locals. Join a gym, buy some lycra, and get myself some Joe Malone fragrance. <laughs> but Amanda and I, we, um, we grew up in northwest London. Um, and we moved away about 32 years ago. Um, 32 years ago. We lived there for 32 years, and we, um, after about 32 years of living in Northwest London, we moved up to Bedford, where we've been for the last nine years. I grew up there um, with my mum in Northwest London in Hendon. Um, my mum is English, and my dad is Italian, and he moved away when I was young, but he lived in one of the best areas of London. Does anybody know? The best area in London. Battersea, well, I have to say that now, but Santi, you know. Highbury, the best area is where my dad lived. That's the Arsenal connection, so I am an Arsenal fan, and I love all football clubs outside of North London. But my mum was um, an atheist, a kind of nominal Jew as I was growing up. My dad was loosely Catholic. Um, my mum became a Christian when I was 10, and then I later became a Christian when I was... 12 at a youth event up in Edgware, the guy was speaking about Jesus in a way that I knew Christ was there, talking to me. You know, my school friends were with me at this youth event, they weren't really listening, but I knew Jesus was there in that room, talking to me, speaking to me about my life, telling me that he will be there with me through every mistake, through every walk that I go through. So that night, I committed my life to follow Jesus. I had no idea. I wasn't from a church background, a Christian background. I didn't really understand what I was doing, but I knew Jesus was real, and I knew I wanted to follow him. So I kept my faith under wraps at secondary school. I went to a secondary school where you kept your head down and you tried to fit in. But secretly, at home, I was learning to pray. In the mornings and in the evenings, I was trying to read my youth Bible. I was trying to understand who this God is, who I've committed my life to follow. And I began to realize that every second of every day, God was with me. 
that that father that I lacked was now here in this compassionate father. I noticed that God's love followed me wherever I went. And so slowly I began to tell my football friends, who I then played with up into my adult years, that I was a Christian ever so slowly. And so they nicknamed me Father Marcus, which they put on the website. Who would have thought all these years later that I would be a priest? After each game, I had so many conversations with them because I found out I began to realize people are hungry. The guys I played football with on the surface seemed like they weren't interested in the deeper things of life. But actually, when we sat in the bar afterwards, they wanted to talk about the deeper things. They wanted to know the difference that Jesus had made in my life. So after school, I left um, with my A-levels and I went to live in Italy for a year with my dad and his lovely French atheist wife. And I finally learnt Italian. Now, it was the first time in my life I had to take myself to church. Um, I was no longer with my mum. My dad and his wife um, didn't go to church. So I began taking myself to church. And it was whilst I was living in Rome, going to church, that I had an experience with God that completely changed my life. I remember walking home, as you do through Rome. I used to go through the Forum, turn left at the Colosseum. And I remember thinking, wow, Lord, you are amazing. You have changed my life. And yet, if I'm honest, I don't really love people the way that you love people. I don't really even love myself. How on earth am I going to be able to speak to people about you? How am I going to be able to tell them that you have come to give them life? And so I went home and I began to pray that night. Lord, fill me with your love. Because if I'm honest, I don't know it. And I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and nothing seemed to happen for days, for weeks. But I kept praying in the evening. One evening, thankfully my family were out. I was in the bedroom, the door was shut and I was praying. Lord, please fill me with your Holy Spirit. Fill me with your love. All of a sudden, I can only describe it as just wave after wave of compassion, of love. I began to cry. I don't cry very much wave and wave of God's love. It was like I could see everybody in the world all at once and I could feel something of God's love for me, firstly, and for other people. And it lasted for about 30, 35 minutes, just kept coming. At that point, I realized there was nothing greater to do in this life than to tell people that number one, God is real. Number two, his name is Jesus. And number three, his love remains limitless for us all. That feeling, that tangible feeling, lasted for about two years, completely transformed my life. And it's a love that transforms us when we experience it, and it transforms our communities, just like here at St. Mark's. Sometimes we can be powerless to change ourselves, but God's grace and love can start to work in us. As God changes us, he changes our community, and we become more hopeful in an ever-changing world. And our world is changing, right? In the last 20 years, we've been through huge changes in our society. So when I was putting this talk together, I said to my son, I said, what funny things have changed in the world over the last 20 years? You know, what funny things have changed? And he looked at me and said, your face, daddy. <laughs> it's the last time I ask you, Santi. So in the last 20 years, 
Things have changed a lot. We now get excited about television more than movies. You know, in 1999, we had The Matrix, we had Fight Club, and then this golden age of television came in. 24, Breaking Bad, Downton Abbey, Call the Midwife, Dexter, all these huge changes. Television now is the thing that everyone goes to. We don't buy music anymore on albums. We stream or download it and it lives in some sort of cloud. Supposedly, I have lots of music, but I have nothing to show for it. We also take our shoes and belts off when we get onto aeroplanes now. Please remember to put them back on. Walking onto a plane in your socks with your trousers falling down is not a good look. Now, I got some of these from a website, insider.com, and it's a list of kind of funny things, but then the list all of a sudden gets quite dark. It says, if you're American, you fear mass shootings more now than ever before. Globally, we think about terrorism more often after 9-11, 7-7, Tunisia, ISIS, Paris, and many others. Statistically, the rates of anxiety in 16 to 24-year-olds has doubled in the last 20 years. Why? I think our Western society is no longer equipped to deal with the changes that we're facing, the rapid changes we're all going through. People don't have the foundations or the underpinning in their lives to deal with our ever-changing world. There are less answers to the questions, why? Society today, and rightly so, is very good at saying, respect people, remember equality, be tolerant, be positive. But I always ask, why? What are you basing that on? Why be selfless? Why love others? Why be hopeful? Yes, when life goes well, it's easy to be kind and hopeful. But what about when our friends aren't as friendly anymore? Or we get ill? Or the pressures to fit in overwhelm us? Or we lose our job? Where is the foundation for goodness and hope? Well, I believe hope comes from holiness. Hope comes from holiness. It's not the answer I would have given. Why? Because we assume holiness is being morally perfect. Or being a stickler for the rules. Or being super righteous. But actually holiness is not about perfecting our moral behavior. It's about being different. The reason holiness brings hope is because it aligns us with Jesus Christ who is different. He is the loving, godly source of all life. Jesus is calling us to lovingly and gently let him transform us to be different. How? To be a community that is lovingly hopeful in this area, in Jesus Christ. To be a blessing to each other and to society around us. To bring a solid foundation and hope into our lives and the lives of those around us that others may come to see that Jesus is alive and he loves them and he can transform their lives. In the Old Testament, the word holy is all over the book. And in the Old Testament, holiness is about being different. God called Israel to be a light to the world, not a police officer, not pointing out wrongs, but a witness which displays true life. 
Isaiah 49, verse 6, God says to Israel, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Being holy is about being set apart, hopeful and loving in Jesus. And we can see that the world around us is struggling to cope with the pressure of an ever-changing world, where no one knows what's true or good anymore, or the reasons for why we say things are good and true. Is Donald Trump a force for good? Is Putin just protecting Russia from evil Ukraine? Is Andrew Tate just misunderstood? By the way, the answer is no to all of those questions in case. People are genuinely wrestling with what is really true, what is good, what is the right way to live. Holiness is not about moral perfection, but walking daily in Jesus' different way, being set apart in our lives and our Christian community. The church is now the light of the world, working each day with Jesus, not on our own, but by God's powerful Holy Spirit himself, encouraged every day by Jesus. So by being lovingly different, holy, we bring hope to ourselves, to the world around us. So how can we demonstrate a richer value of family here than is seen in society? How can we ensure we stay together for the long term rather than getting tired of making things work? And Paul finishes our reading today, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 24, by saying, the one who calls us the one who calls you and me is faithful, and he will do it. We don't need to panic and think, but Marcus, I can't change myself. I can't be holy on my own. Thank God we don't have to do it on our own. Thank God we serve a God who transforms us by his power so we can be holy. We can be lovingly different like Jesus. And that's what we see Paul here writing to the Thessalonians in our reading. This is the holiness he envisaged, the difference he wanted to see with God's help. From verse 13, it says, live in peace with each other. We urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, but encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. He called them to holiness, not moral perfection, to be radically hopeful and different to the broken culture around them. In other words, all the values we love in our society, respect, equality, love, goodness, kindness, are fundamentally Christian, and they are from the person of Jesus Christ. Samuel Moyne, who's a professor of law and history at Yale University, he says this about the origins of our human rights. He says, the truth is that Europe, and therefore the modern world, drew nearly everything 
from Christianity in the long term. It's not that non-Christians aren't kind and loving, but the origins of this hopeful and holy way of living are from Jesus Christ. They bring hope because they are the fingerprints of our creator in this world. As we come to the end, what does God gently call us to be like? Four things. The first one is promote peace. Paul says live in peace with each other. That we would know something of God's peace and share it. Promote peace. The second one, elevate encouragement. Encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone, asking God to soften our hearts with love for others, just like he did with me back in Italy. The third one, cultivate compassion. Always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else, Paul says. To ask Jesus to energize us, to be consistent as we show compassion. And the fourth one, practice prayer. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. To know God's desire that he wants to talk to us at all times. Learning day by day to include him in our lives. Promote peace. Elevate encouragement. Cultivate compassion and practice prayer. Holiness leads to hope and the deepening of our community. We naturally then become witnesses, as many of you are already. Nick Spencer, who works for Theos, is a Christian think tank, says this. Christians have been the vessel into which God has poured himself, but they hold that treasure badly. They leak, they spill, they contaminate, and yet somehow what they carry persists and preserves and heals and hopes. Our world needs Christian communities to be the signposts of hope that we find in Jesus Christ. Yes, we get it wrong, we mess up all the time but we carry something of God that persists. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do this. So let's just take a moment now before we come to communion, just to rest in the presence of the one who calls us and is faithful. And then I'll pray. Father, we thank you that you call us, that you are faithful, that your love is never-ending, that your spirit lives in us. Fill us now with your Holy Spirit. Lord, if this is the first time we've ever come in your presence, would you fill us now, Jesus? Would you come into our lives? Would you change our hearts? Would you forgive us our sins? Would you give us your new life? Lord, we cannot be holy on our own. Holy Spirit, would you begin to just fill us with your presence, that we may become more and more like you, Lord Jesus.